Welcome to the Real Music Talk podcast. Music conversations with one big question. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Real Music Talk podcast. This is Keith Hall, your host, and this is episode number 11. Today, we're going to talk to jazz violinist Regina Carter. Regina is a Detroit native, a multi-Grammy Award nominee, and just a great person to hang with. So much fun. We had so many laughs during this episode and the next episode because this is only part one of our Regina Carter conversation. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please do so and tell your friends. Go ahead and leave a comment and a rating, please. And without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Regina Carter. You've always done music, right? You started when you were super young, right? Violin at, I think I read age four. Yeah, but I was taking piano lessons for a while at age two. (laughs) And that wasn't working because you know how two-year-olds are, so. (laughs) (laughs) Like a three-minute lesson and then you're done, right? You're onto something else. Well, she was trying to teach me how to read and I was like, no, I composed this tune. And actually, that teacher, Anna Love, she had a place in Detroit called Your Heritage House. And um, you could go there on the weekends and take arts and all kinds of art classes and things. And um, I I guess I used to draw these big circles and color them in on that green paper where you learn how to write your capital and small letters. And she kept them and made a book. So when I graduated high school, she gave that to my mom. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? Wow. So you start, so that was your piano teacher. Right. Anna Love, piano. At age two. (laughs) (laughs) And then you started on violin at four. Right. I was more mature. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. You've always done music. And I I remember, um, obviously, years later, being introduced to you, you know, musically at the Detroit Jazz Festival, which, you know, I think I was probably 18 the first time I went. Um, and I heard you with uh, your group Straight Ahead. Wow. Right? Okay. Right? Remember those days? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was incredible. And for me, um, and I was new to jazz at the time, but for me, also just seeing uh, an all-woman band, I was like, wow, this is cool. They're all, all of you are from Detroit, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, uh, and it's an all woman band and man, these ladies are killing it. This is cool. <laughs> you know, I, I hadn't seen, seen that before. And, you know, it just kind of opens up your mind. You know, you see something new, you hear something new, like, okay, there are other possibilities. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, that, that's so important, especially for, for young people as you then were young to see that, but especially for young women to see that yeah and i see you know over over your career you've you know been uh kind of a a, a shining light you know for for women uh, other women musicians uh to see like that's that's regina carter she's successful she's she's a great person more importantly <laughs> and, and she's doing it you know i can do that yeah uh and obviously we need more women you know to maybe not just do it, but be uh, recognized. Exactly. 
Exactly. Right. Yeah. And to be aware that it is a, it's a career option, you know, so, so many times, I, I don't know how it is now, but when I was growing up, people would say, so what do you do? Even, you know, I'm a violinist, but what's your real job? Oh, man. <laughs> it's like, if you only knew, when you think about how many years you've been studying music, and okay, so your parents are taking you to and from the lessons, to rehearsals, to this concert, to that. So you add up all that time that they spent and you spent practicing all the gas, all the money that's been spent. And so you compare that to, you know, people say, oh, can you just come in and play this right quick? Or can you just, and it's like, okay, I've spent more hours in school than a doctor or an attorney. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I remember my girlfriend, a pianist, said she was at a party and um, at this attorney's house. And he was like, oh, can, there's a piano there. Can you go and play us something? And I, I said, you should have said, yeah. And can you, while I'm doing that, can you look over this contract, you know, for free? Just, just look this over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I see you, you have your Detroit fleece on there. That's um, right. Proudly. <laughs> Probably wearing, you know, repping Detroit. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in Detroit? I mean, you mentioned Anna Love, your piano teacher. There's some other uh, early influences, and what was it like growing up in Detroit? Yeah, uh, when I grew up in Detroit, it was it was an amazing. It's still an amazing city. It's just gone through some stuff, but um, yeah. you know, I grew up in a time where there there were block clubs and the communities all came together. We'd have block club parties and block off the streets and you know the neighbor who was in charge of the 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 president would turn on if it was really hot turn on the fire fire uh hydrant so the kids could run through it and um you know if you were acting up down by Mrs. Locke's house she'd say something to you and call your mama so you got in trouble <laughs> so it was just really a, a community everybody's looking out for each other right Yes, yes, you know, and it's really beautiful because a lot of those people that I grew up with, even the the people that were older than me, we still we were still in touch, uh, and they were having um, reunions for a while. But you know, there was so much music in Detroit, so much music and art, um, and you think about all the different immigrants that migrated to Detroit because of the automotive industry and all these other. And so we, you know, we had our, our, we had the largest uh, um, population of Chaldeans. Um, we had a group, Hamtramck, most of the Polish immigrants lived there. Then you had Greek town and you had, so there was all, there were all these groups and you, and I went to public school and uh, got a great education. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so I had all these friends from different, different, um, their parents were from different countries. And so, you know, you go to their homes and maybe you eat, if they had traditional food, you know, their, their food, that was what they were eating. And, or you hear their music, their classical music, or, you know, and so I was, ex you, you just get exposed to so many different cultures without ever having to, to get on a plane and go somewhere to experience it. So that was wonderful. Um, and so much music, like I said, you know, I, I went to a school, it was back then it was called uh, the Detroit Community Music School, and then it became uh, the Center for Creative Studies. 
and uh, I'd have my private lessons once a week, and then my group lessons on the weekend. There'd be a bunch of us, and um, we did Suzuki. You know, where you learn to play by ear, you you mimic, and there are at least eight of us that are still professional that are professional musicians out of that class. Wow! And we we get together. <laughs> And we're all in touch too. One is two are with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. One is with the Chicago Symphony. One's with the Chicago Symphonietta. Two, a set of twins have their own quartet that travel. Uh, one actually, the piano, she became a paralegal. And one's a cellist, a solo cellist that travels. So it's, uh, and it's pretty, mate. we're all still in touch. So it's just growing, I, you just formed these relationships growing up back then that, that carried on through our lives. So I, I, that's very special. And I think, um, you know, I, I did, I came to, to jazz when I was 16 and one of my best friends, Carla Cook, wonderful vocalist, also from Detroit. Yeah. We sat next to each other in Spanish class. And so she would always talk about Miles Davis and um, Ella, Sarah. I, I just didn't know who these people were. <laughs> and then she was the one that gave me the jazz violin records. And then when we were 16, uh, she took me for my birthday to P jazz, which was a jazz series that used to be on top of the Pontchartrain hotel a gazillion years ago. Wow. And Stefan Grappelli and his trio were there. And Whoa. it was just, yeah, it was a man. They had so many, I remember seeing Tanya Maria there, just so many people. And you'd be that close. Cause the, the, the rooftop is not that huge, you know? So you're right up on them and just being able to see the joy that he had when he was playing in his band. And I was unfortunately too shy to go up and say anything to him, which I could kick myself now for that. But it was a turning point for me. I knew I wanted to play jazz, not knowing what that really meant. I was just, I wanted to do what I heard these other violinists doing. I remember transferring my, my third year of college, I transferred to Oakley University in Rochester, Michigan, and went to the big band teacher, Doc Marvin Holiday, and said, you know, I want to play jazz. And he was like, okay, I'm going to put you in the saxophone section, in the alto section. Breathe like they breathe, phrase like they phrase, and stop listening to violin players, because there's too few of them, and you want to have your own voice. And, you know, and then, you know, a lot of, a lot of the cats that had already graduated some years back would come and sit in with the big band and fill it out and, and, and help. Uh, and then Marcus Belgrave, trumpet player would always come up and hang out. It wasn't like, you know, they were like, come do this one. He was just hanging. Marcus was the hang king and he mm. loved to play. And so, you know, we got that experience of, of, of having master classes with him or work being around him and then he had a summer camp at his house and it wasn't even officially a, a camp it was just you just were just going and hanging out and learning from Marcus and so, you know it's me Rodney Whitaker then the great drummer uh the late drummer Lawrence Williams will come and help and I would oh. pick Lawrence up and be every day during the week we go to Marcus's house and we'd learn about writing music playing just everything even about the business and Marcus would set up gigs and we'd play gigs with him and you know I didn't understand then the the um 
how how you know who I was in the presence of at 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 that age you know right. and uh I always remember this gig we were doing with Marcus and uh Lawrence was on drums and Lawrence was across the stage like tying his shoe or something and Marcus had counted off the tune his like and I swear to you Lawrence made it to the drums and bam came in it was it was some otherworldly kind of stuff to see that he ran across the stage and got there and was like and was ready and hit it you know and just like nothing he, wow. you know, he, he, he was otherworldly and wrote some of the most amazing tunes and mm. um, just such a gentle person. But, you know, so learning from, from Marcus, Ken Cox, um, I was part of the Guria Jam Band, um, Lyman Woodard, uh, Wendell Harrison, you know, and a lot of, a lot of people thinking, talking about straight ahead, um, and it used to, it was Mickey Braden in Straight Ahead because Mickey, who's another wonderful vocalist uh, from Detroit originally, she started, I think she was one of the original members and she might've been the one that put the, had the original idea to put that band together. Um, and she left maybe a year, she moved to New York, maybe a year or so after I joined the band. But um, Marion Hayden, great bassist. Our families grew up yeah. together. Like she has a brother Aww. my age. We went to Sunday school together. She's my brother. You know, so it's like all these connections. Galen and I met at Oakland University. We were in the big band together. Um, the only one I, I didn't know growing up was Eileen or Alina. Now she goes by. And so, but it just, you know, there were growing up in Detroit, there were just, you had all these connections and always a sense that, if you really wanted something, there's always someone there to help you and they want to help you and help you grow. And the sense of passing, passing on the tradition and mentoring. And I think everyone, we all, we all have that. Uh, no matter if you were, if you grew up in Detroit proper or around just, you know, Mich Michiganders, <laughs> we have a, yeah. we have a special thing. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, that must have been amazing. What what uh, timeline were we talking about? This is like late seventies and or what? So that might have been seventy nine, I think nineteen seventy nine, okay. when I saw Stefan Grappelli. Yeah. And to, to yeah. remember that moment too, when when you saw and you heard it, and it just clicked for you. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. pretty amazing. Not everybody can remember that moment, right? Um, no. I'm, but I'm trying I, to think if, if I had a moment like that, but they were just many moments, but you have that one moment. I love that. Yeah, I think, I think for me, maybe, maybe I remember it so clearly because I play an instrument that's not traditionally thought of as a jazz instrument, you mm. know? And so it's, it's not like, you know, I, I was, I had, someone had to say, look, this, this exists. And because there were so few jazz violinists that were at least recording and visible at that time out there touring that that that's why it made such a huge impact I think on me it's like you know mm -hmm. here's someone actually doing this other thing with this instrument you know yeah it's kind of like what we said uh, in, at the beginning too 
you know, you, you saw a new possibility for your instrument mm -hmm. that you weren't, hadn't been exposed to. And it, and it obviously opened up an entire life for you. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> and now you're doing that for others, you know, in so yeah. many ways. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying and, and hope, you know, I think we all are just being out here doing what we're doing. And that's only part one of our Regina Carter conversation. In our next episode, she shares this really powerful story. Uh, so don't miss it. We appreciate you listening and subscribing to the podcast. We look forward to the next episode. But in the meantime, be who you be and do what you do. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>